Welcome to the Built Not Born podcast presented by Edge Leadership Academy. I'm your host, David Kitchen, and every week I'm going to be having conversations with some of the top leaders in their fields to figure out what built them into the leaders they are today and what we can all take away from their journey. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share, like, and leave a review so we can continue to bring you more content like this. Also, make sure you join us on our website, www.edgeleadershipacademy.com for a ton of free content and resources for leaders and those wanting to be leaders, and be sure to follow us on social media. I'm fired up to be part of this project, and I'm really looking forward to getting to work. Leaders are built, not born. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Built Not Born podcast. I'm your host, David Kitchen, and today we're going to sit down with Coach Rebecca Gold, who's a strength and conditioning coach at the University of North Texas. Coach Gold is a huge resource when it comes to leadership, and she's done extensive studies in it during her time at the, at the Citadel. Um, she's done a ton of reading and understanding when it comes to culture and leadership and where these things can impact your organization. So we're actually going to put together a three-part series with Coach Gold so that we get an opportunity to deep dive into some of the topics that we hit on during this first episode. Um, so sit back, grab a notebook, get a pen, get ready to take some notes because this stuff is is really good and it's in-depth and it's going to give you guys a really good um, look at what Coach Gold has been thinking and what she's been going over as far as leadership in her own life um, and what it looks like for you and application on a daily basis. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you share, like, comment, leave a review, tag a friend, do all that stuff. Let's try and get the message out there as much as possible. And remember, leaders are built, not born. Hey guys, I'm really jacked up to bring this episode to you. I think this is going to be a, a really, really deep episode. and It's going to be part of a three-part series with Coach Rebecca Gold from the University of North Texas. So we are fired up to connect with some friends in the Midwest and hear a ton about her leadership experience and something that she's super passionate about. So without further ado, I will shut my mouth and, and Coach Gold, please tell us a little bit about you and, and let's get this thing going. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate you having me on today. And I'm, I like you said, I am really excited to talk about um, just leadership in general and all of the bits and pieces that can go with it. It's obviously a very broad topic, so I'm excited that we have the opportunity here to kind of dive in and focus in a couple different categories throughout the, the few episodes. So um, I guess just a, a little bit about myself and um, as far as my career goes, um, I've been a little bit all over the place. Uh, I started with an internship at Marquette University with Todd and Maggie Smith, who are just complete rock stars. And, um, and they kind of set me up and, and allowed me to get to the Citadel with Coach Donnell Boucher, who um, really encouraged me to get my master's in leadership and is kind of the foundation of where I learned a lot of this information, not only in the master's program there, but also just with him. Um, and he got me uh, hooked up with Matt Steed and I transitioned over to Arkansas State University, which was an unbelievable experience. If you truly want to understand what a different breed is, like that's what it was. And I'm always, I always am trying to achieve that again, because we are all just firing on the same cylinder. It was great. Um, from there, um, I got the chance to go closer to home, spent about six months at UW-Milwaukee um, before my husband and I both got offers by Kazkazadi to go down to SMU. And we were at SMU for a year. And then we transitioned up to University of North Texas and we're going on year three here. So 
<laughs> moved around quite a bit in my career. Um, but through it all, I've been in different positions and in different environments. And I think that has really taught me a lot um, when it comes to um, how to lead both up and down and side to side as well. Um, and, and it really allowed me, I think, to come to an identity of like who, who I am. I think a lot of people, when, when you ask them to introduce yourself, like I did, the first thing is, okay, I talk about my career, but that's, I am not, that is not my identity. I am not strength coach, Rebecca Gold. Um, my identity is defined through my relationship with God and I am his child and I live my life to spread his love and his word through the way I do my job through my relationships um, and, and what I say, do, and, and the way I live my life on a regular basis. So that is my identity and, and my, my why, I guess you could say, behind uh, what I do uh, on my specific platform here. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, you hit it on the head first off with, with your experiences and the, the varied experiences that you've had throughout your career. Like people don't realize as a, as a young strength coach coming in, you know, how much time you're going to spend moving around and doing different things, but all those experiences add up and they kind of exactly like you said, they culminate into this identity as far as how you do your job. You know, it starts to shape you because you're able to be around different cultures and different experiences. Um, like I know for me, I was, at, I was with 56 different teams in seven years, you know, if you count all the teams that I worked with. And so you get all these different experiences, which is awesome. But at the end of the day, you know, it comes back to what you said at the end there, which is, it's not, it's a vehicle, you know, strength and conditioning is a vehicle for a much bigger message and a much bigger thing. And I, I said that in every job interview I've ever been in. And I truly believe it. Like strength and conditioning is what I do. It's not who I am. And this is not just about lifting weights. This is part of a bigger, you know, for me, a bigger mission and a bigger message that I'm trying to preach. Um, so I'm, I'm so fired up to hear that. And, you know, leading into the first question here, I, I want to dive deep into that experience at the Citadel. I think, um, you know, a lot of people have kind of maybe a, a, a different idea of what goes on at the military academies and some of the military affiliated schools. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that was like for you. Um, you know, and then particularly at the end, you can get into the leadership side of it, but just from an overall paint the picture for everybody. All right. So <laughs> when it comes to the Citadel, it is such an amazing place and there's so much that goes into the environment um, that it's really, really hard to put into words. To be honest with you, um, I think that that's what made that experience so unique is you're just taking in so much new. And I think it was exponentially new for me uh, because I was coming to South Carolina, you know, Charleston, South Carolina from uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> and and the, that culture difference is definitely something that opened my eyes um, and allowed me not only to see a difference, you know, a comparative difference from where I'm from and where I grew up to maybe the South and the, and the environment you get when you go into the South, um, but also the difference in collegiate environments going from um, UW Oshkosh, where I did my undergrad, it's division three school to division one Marquette University, big time men's basketball program to now, um, you know, the Citadel, that lower level division one tier 
Um, and just getting to see the differences in all those types of environments was really eye-opening. So I tried to narrow down the Citadel itself into like three points to kind of help myself stay on track here. <laughs> um, and I think the number one thing I learned um, being working with uh, the crew there at the Citadel, um, Coach Boucher and Jim Caritzi, um, and a blend of other people while I was there. Um, but the number one thing I learned was it is important to learn from outside sources. You are not going to find all of your answers if you only look in the strength and conditioning field. You must look elsewhere because newsflash, strength coaches are not the best leaders. Strength coaches are not the best managers or the best budgeters or the best mark, you know, marketing team. And guess what? We have to do all of those things. You wear all of those hats um, and in different capacities, depending on where you are. But it, you must look elsewhere in order to be if you want to be the best in the nation, which I do. That's my goal. Everywhere I go, I want to be the best in the nation. And if that's not your goal, um, I would question what your ambition is. One hundred percent. So. And so I think that that's really what thrusted me into that leadership program. And I wanted to, you know, I didn't start in the leadership program. I started in exercise science and um, getting into, you know, just into the first semester and realizing that it was very difficult to go to class. That's from six to 9 p.m. after you just coached for 12 hours. And I would sit in the front row with my eyelids kind of like, like pulling my eyelids open so I don't fall asleep because I was a good student. I didn't want to fall asleep. <laughs> um, and, and after trying to, trying to do well in that environment after a semester, Coach D was like, you know, why don't you, why don't you look at this? You know, why don't you look to set yourself apart from every other strength coach and, and go a little bit different route, a little bit of a different direction? Um, and so I did. And so I, I, I would, I thank him every, I try to thank him at least twice a year. <laughs> I try to shoot him a text and I'm like, Hey, thank you for pushing me in that direction. Um, because if not, to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't be a strength coach today. I, I if I had not gone towards that leadership route and really found what I was passionate about. Um, and so I, I thank him for that every single day. Now, why do you say you don't think you would be a strength coach? What, what was the difference there? Well, you think that set kind of a, a framework for the way you do what you do now that kind of changed your passion a little bit or you know, just give me a little background on that. That's an interesting statement. Don't get me wrong. I love the weight room. I love working out. I love training. I love training, like getting into the nitty gritty of a 12 week program and seeing progress um, through persistent work. Um, I love the X's and O's. I think human and exercise physiology and anatomy is very interesting. I love the human body, but I love my family more than all of that. And that the passion and the interest that I have for that side of our field would not have kept me away, you know, 12, 16, 18, 20 hours away from my family, seven years down the road. I miss my family every day. My my nephew turned 13 yesterday or two days ago now. And I just about cried when I realized it was his 13th birthday. And I still don't live close enough to go see him play sports. And that there is a there's a deep love 
and passion for my family and, and a responsibility and a loyalty to my family that I feel and that pushes me along every single day. Um, but I think God's calling and the importance of being in on this platform and having access to this group of people that I do every day is stronger than even that. Um, and that's that, that the leadership side of things has led me to realize that. No, I, I love that because it, it's very similar to, to some of the things that I feel and felt during my time in, in the college coaching arena. It was, you know, the same things you were experiencing where I was on the West Coast, my family was on the East Coast. And I, I mean, I was just joking yesterday with somebody that I haven't had a Thanksgiving meal with my family in seven years. So this, this, this upcoming week is going to be the first one in seven years. Um, so I'm super excited for that, obviously, but I couldn't walk away because I felt that the platform that I had was too important and I was able to, to impact people and do things. And it's exactly like you said, it was almost like I'm sacrificing so that other people may, you know, go through things and, and I can be here and I can be a part of that. Um, obviously there, there's selfish, you know, wants and desires within that somewhere, you know, whether it's status or logos or you like you said you want to be the best like I'm a competitive person don't get me wrong I'm not going to shy away from the fact that I wanted to win um but it was ultimately always about how do I pour into these people more and that kind of kept me going to a point where I was able to you know rationalize being away from my family um and ultimately for me I was able to find a new platform that allowed me to come back to Pennsylvania so now I you know I live with my brother I'm able to spend time around my family. And that was huge for me, but I completely understand what you're saying with, you know, finding something that, like I said, it almost rationalizes and almost justifies it to an extent, you know, as far as in, in your heart that you can reconcile with it and say, Hey, you know what, I'm doing this for a bigger purpose. Um, and I'm going to continue to do it. I'm interested to hear, you know, speaking of bigger purposes, I'm interested to hear, was there a big difference going back to, to the Citadel piece? Was there a big difference in the students and in, you know, knowing that, at the end of their college experience, it could go one of two ways, right? Because they're, are they required to do, are they required to do active duty afterwards or is it, they could do reserves as well? So that's the different thing about the Citadel is that you are not required to go into the service after graduation. If you do, you graduate an officer, if I, if I'm correct there, I, I believe I am, but, um, but you do not have to. And so I think that is a big misconception about the Citadel as a military school, it's not the same as Army and Navy and, and it's not the same as those. Um, and so you you would think that you're getting a certain type of kid that you, when you go in there and at the end of the day, you, you're just not there. They are, they are the same 18 to 22 year olds that you work with elsewhere, but they are in a much different environment, which obviously causes you to flex as a strength and conditioning coach um, as well. But everybody who goes there is not, you know, deeply driven to be a leader or a standout military person. Um, it's not, it's just not, it's just not like that. Um, so flexing with the environment, but at the end of the day, the kid, kid's still an 18 to 22 year old. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that is definitely a misconception because that was something I did. I wasn't clear on that. That's why I had to ask the question. Um, and even when we talked during the pre-screen, I think I was coming from a different place because I kept coming back to, hey, let's talk about the leadership of the students. And you're kind of like, uh, I don't think you know, we weren't on the same page on that. So I'm glad we got to talk about that because um, it is something, you know, on the outside, you don't know. You don't know the ins and outs. Um, and for me, I always assumed that they, they were required to do some sort of military service afterwards. 
And so that would kind of lend itself to the leadership piece and, and doing that. Um, but obviously you probably had some pretty cool um, speakers and guest lectures and things with the military connections. You probably got some pretty cool um, experiences with that. You know, tell me a little bit about some of the things that you guys covered during your leadership uh, courses. Um, okay, so in the leadership courses themselves, everything was online. Um, which made it extremely doable when it came to being a graduate assistant and helping with, you know, six to 18s and, and all those, all the different things that are required of you as a graduate assistant. Um, and so the majority of our, uh, of our learning came from books, reading, um, which I was really excited about because I hadn't been excited about reading since high school. I used to love reading when I got into my undergrad. I hated reading because it was just textbooks and, you know, a lot of stuff that I wasn't necessarily interested in, but needed the credits. So I was taking it and I'd gotten away from reading in my free time. Um, in this leadership degree, I got to read so many books that I was genuinely interested in. And then it was like book club. <laughs> it was like book club over and over and over again, <laughs> um, because it was all, all of our assignments were discussion based, read these chapters, let's talk about it, write a paper on this. Um, I think my, like, I loved writing my thesis, which was basically how I would lead a strength and conditioning department. You know, that, that really pushed for, like, I got to put that in my portfolio for my very first job. And there's not a lot of 22 year old, 23 year olds that come out applying for their first job saying, Hey, I have an idea of how I want to run a department, <laughs> but you're applying for an assistant position. I know. <laughs> but that's uh, big time though. That's big time because that, that speaks to your motivation to lead and your motivation to, to move up, you know, so that. To me, I think that's a differentiating factor, exactly like you said, especially at that age, um, to have something like that is, is definitely unique. And, and, so, and so some of the big, like here, I'll use this opportunity to go in on some really good resources for people. Because at the, at the end of the day, um, especially in strength and conditioning, uh, I just believe in empowerment. And it all comes down to empowering people to, do, to better themselves. Um, and cause I can't just tell you all the leadership answers, um, everything I got, I stole, um, and it came from a ton of different resources. I think some of the big ones, um, were like Chip and Dan Heath made to stick was a huge book. Um, and it's something I refer back to, um, Jim Collins, good to great and great by choice. Um, I think there's one more book in that series as well. So Simon Sinek huge Brene Brown um even just their TED talks you don't even read their books just just TED talk those two people and your your mind will be blown yeah. um Patrick Lingioni huge stuff um gosh uh and you know what the bible <laughs> like the original leadership story there's a lot of leadership <laughs> going on in the bible yeah. um and and it's it's funny um that that none of those books are strength and conditioning specific. Most of them are business. Um, there's a ton of really good military leadership books out there. Um, and, and some of the new ones are a lot easier, I think, for people to understand. But even, I mean, some of the, some of the old ones that are harder to understand, but they just come with these concepts that, it's, that are just mind-blowing. You know, and, and you see how they apply to every aspect of your life. 
Um, and so I would encourage, like I said, I'll type those up and send those to you. I would encourage any listener to go to those show notes and, and look at those resources because that's where, how you're truly going to be able to find how you can live these concepts in your own environment because everybody's environment is different. That's it. And I, and I think you hit on something in there that, that is also important that how leadership transcends your industry. It's not just where you're at. Like you're like the way you lead within a hospital or the way you lead within a school or the way you lead within the military, there's commonalities across the board. Um, in a sense, everyone is a leader. In a sense, everybody has leadership responsibilities, whether you're a leader of your family and you're just leading, you know, the dinner table, or if you're leading a department or if you're leading your staff, whatever, you know, I think that that's a big deal. And I think too, um, and I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because I, I didn't explain it to you during the pre-screening. So I'm going to throw this theory out here and you can, you can bash it or we can talk about it, whatever we want to do. Um, I, I've come in my career and come in contact with a lot of good leaders, a lot of great leaders and a lot of average leaders and a lot of bad leaders. Um, so kind of all over the spectrum. But what I've started to do is categorize them into different levels of leadership. And the first one being the Rambo style leader. So in my mind, just to relate it back to strength and conditioning, this is the first year director. This is the first time full-time assistant that is just trying to do everything themselves. And it's not out of a place of, um, you know, maliciousness. It's just that they don't know any better. They're full of energy and they want the fight. They want it all. And so they put everything on their plate. And what I found with those types of leaders is that they start to build almost resentment among their team because the team starts to feel like, why should I bother if they're just going to do it all themselves? They don't trust me. Um, and so I've kind of likened that to almost like burning gasoline. It burns hot, it burns fast, but once it's out, it's out. And so that's kind of my first level of leadership that I, that I kind of like people to. The second category I put them in is the George Washington style, which is the old painting of George Washington crossing. I believe it's either the Delaware or the Potomac. I think it's the Delaware. Um, where he's in the front and he's pointing, but he doesn't have an oar in his hand. Everybody else is rowing and he's pointing, right? And so that's kind of my second level of leadership. And I find that to be kind of those middle manager type people of, um, you know, maybe a couple years into their first director role, but they're not quite at the point of empowerment yet. They're still giving direction. Those are your bosses, your managers. They're not your leaders. Um, and so again, with those people, you know, to me, I, I just think there's a limit to that. I just think there's a ceiling to how far people are willing to go when there's no genuine connection. I feel like at that point, the power distance is what plays the limiting factor in that you're creating this, I'm on the top of the pyramid, you're at the bottom versus the servant leadership model where you invert that, right? And now the people below you are the most important piece of the pyramid and you're at the bottom and you're serving them. Um, so I don't think that that exists in that George Washington model um, and that's where the limitation lies. And then the third one would be more of that servant leadership slash um, kind of Avengers style of team leadership where it's shared responsibilities, it's shared vision, it's shared communication. And ultimately another big piece that people don't realize is there's not one disciplinarian. You know, everybody shares that role where we're all holding each other accountable. So it doesn't all fall on one central leader because especially, and I look at 18 to 22 year old kids, what do a lot of them fear? And that's holding people accountable, right? They don't want to be the one to call people out because they're afraid of relationships. But in that team style leadership, there's genuine trust and accountability that's across all the levels. Nobody's above the standard. 
Um, so those are, those are kind of mine. I came up with that stuff um, based on, you know, things that I've stole over the years from much smarter people than me. Um, but kind of, I put people in those three categories. So I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, on any of that. Um, feel free to bash me if you'd like to, but let's, let's hear it. <laughs> I won't bash you. I think that's a great way to categorize people. And I do think that there's a lot of people that fall into those categories. Um, and, and there's even people who fall into all three categories in different aspects of their life. Um, because people do not realize that you are leading everybody. You are leaving at, you are having some sort of leadership like feel or, or vibe onto every single person you come into contact with because leadership is about influence. Like anybody that you're influencing, you are leading them either positively or negatively. There's, there's not a ton of neutral going on when it comes to leadership. It's either one way or the other. Um, and so I think that there's people who are very intentional about leading a specific group of people in a certain way. But then when it comes to the other people in their life, they don't want that responsibility. And so they, they choose to just ignore it and act like it's not a thing. Well, I'm sorry. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I completely agree. And I think that the thing I would want to add um, to the Rambo and the George Washington's like uh, styles of leadership, as you put them, what is missing? It's communication. Like it's, it's the, they lack that those types of leaders lack the skill or the intention to communicate in a way that's going to speak positively to the people around them. And by positively, I don't mean like painting the sky a rainbow and it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Leadership is not that, but it, I mean, productively, maybe productively is a better term to use there. Um, in, in, a, in a positive direction, because accountability is not always, doesn't always come off as positive, <laughs> right? It's not always nice to be held accountable, but the end result is something productive. Yeah. The end result is, is betterment. Um, and, and I think that um, those two styles of leadership, that's what they lack. And that's something you'll learn. Here's another reference. I mean, you're throwing out Brett Bartholomew at you, all of his, um, everything he talks about from buy-in to valued to conscious coaching, the entire book is about being able to, to improve your skill of communication because your, your skill to communicate with people has to flex based on the person. If you want, if your goal is truly to communicate with them. Right. Right, definitely. And I think that's, you know, a big piece for especially young leaders and as and even myself, as I get older, um, the feedback process and, and being able to communicate effectively, you know, and not sway kind of like the pendulum where you're always negative, always positive, right? You have to be able to kind of go back and forth. Um, and I think it was Brene Brown that talked about the, uh, the marble jar, the marble jar theory, where you have to put marbles into the jar, right? And you have to add value to people and give positives and, and, be a positive, um, you know, kind of positive part of the equation in their life and keep adding marbles to the jar, right? So every time I do something positive for you, I put a marble in the jar. When I do something negative, which could be perceived, you know, feedback can be perceived as negative. It's not meant to be, it's meant to be critical, but it can be perceived as negative. That's me taking a marble out of the jar. But if I didn't put enough in there to start, there's nothing for me to take out, right? Or the whole jar just falls over and now you have a real problem. Um, but I think that's something that is difficult for a lot of people is that feedback piece. So talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on how you handle it, 
what you think some of the challenges are that people face with it and how we can navigate that? Oh, we're getting in deep and dirty here. Okay. Oh, I love it. <laughs> okay. So I think it, it mostly comes down to a willingness to get to know the person at first. You have to put the importance on their growth and not your information that you can share with them. That's big. And I think that's a really big self check for people who want to help other people, which is a lot of coaches and any sort of customer based, um, you know, field you, a lot of times we get into those fields because you like helping people. So you go and you learn and you read and you gain knowledge all in the grand scheme because you want to help people. But at some point that all that knowledge is no use if you can't communicate it well. And, and by well, I mean, in the specific way that the person you're trying to teach will hear you, will listen to you. And when you work with 18 to 22 year olds, they don't always want to listen to you. And so it is your job as the professional and the adult. If your goal is to truly help somebody, you have to do the work on the front end to get to know what their experiences are, what their perceptions are, um, what their goals are. In, in strength and conditioning specifically, um, you know, if you're working with a collegiate athlete, it, it would be, you know, quote unquote, safe to assume that they're there because they like to play their sport but that's simply not the case. Ask every single member on your team in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you know, so there's no uh, outside pressures. Ask them, you know, what do you care about most? Like, what is truly the most important to you? I'm a first-generation college student and graduating with a really, really good GPA is really, really important to me. So they're simply using their, their sport and their skill as a strategy to graduate with a really good GPA and be the first one in their family to do that. And, and you'd be surprised if you sit down and ask your college students um, what their goals are and what's truly important to them. Um, you'd be surprised at how many of them don't say, well, I want to be the best in the nation at my position. They just it's it, it, you're you're making an assumption as a strength coach or sport coach if you think that that's your athlete's goals a lot of them it's just a strategy toward a bigger goal so i think really really good questions is the first step when it comes to the feedback process and and communicating the necessary information in a way that they'll hear it yeah and i think exactly what you just said where really good questions, right? The, the funny thing about leadership is it becomes less of more, less about what you say and more about how well you listen. And Absolutely. I think that gets so lost in translation. And, you know, a lot of people as leaders are so eager to give feedback because they want the team to move forward. They want the team to be, it's all well-intentioned, but you're so eager to give feedback that you skip the listening piece. And you're, and sometimes, and I, I've seen this happen in interactions and I know I've probably been guilty of it myself where you're listening and it's a feedback conversation. You're listening with the intent of already talking. You're not listening to listen. You're not, you're not hearing what they're saying. You're just waiting for your turn to talk. And I think that is something that definitely clouds the water 
with that feedback piece. And now your knowledge and all you're doing is, is spewing knowledge at them. You're not reciprocating. There's no connection there. It's just you talking at them. They get a turn to talk, but you're already waiting for your turn again. Right. And I think that is something that can turn people off very, very quickly to receiving feedback. I, I would agree 100% with you. And again, like you said, I think the emphasis is that it's well-intentioned and we're so excited about our content that we overemphasize the content and we disregard the how and the how it's communicated. And if there's one thing I've learned, there has to be a balance. And, and I think that there's a misconception as well when with people and, and they think that, oh, if you go, if you go about it in this, through this process, you know, it's because they're all soft, you know, all the, all the kids are soft. And in your opinion, and based on your experiences, they might be what you want to call soft, but that doesn't matter. If your goal is to help them, then you have to meet them where they're at. It doesn't matter if you think they're soft or not. You te- have to teach them how to be not soft. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because if they are, if they are soft, that's meant that they haven't, that means that they haven't been taught how to not be soft. So there's a level and you just have to go up these levels, but they're not going to understand you if you're talking on level five, if they're only on level one or two. Coach, I, I talked in a, in a workshop with a, with a head coach and it was very similar conversation along the lines of our kids are soft. They can't handle feedback, this and that. And he said, my preferred leadership style is X, Y, Z. And I said, listen, I said, with all due respect, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way. Your preferred leadership style does not matter. It's irrelevant. If your kids are not capable of being led that way, you will not be successful. You won't, you know? And so I think you bring up another piece right there. You have to be adaptable. You have to be able to meet people where they are and then take them there. Like what, what is, I think it's Louis Simmons, right? And I hate to use the language, but you have to take them from shit to suck and then from suck to bad and then from bad to average, right? That's your job. You have to, you have to identify where your team is at and where your followers are at. And then how do I move them? You know, in, in the case of the bell curve, how do I move them towards that high performer area? But that how is going to be dictated on your relationship with them, not on how you feel. It's not on your terms. You know, it's, it's on their terms and it's how, now, obviously, there's a there's a um, ceiling to that. And, you know, at some point, if you can't change people, then you got to change people, you know, but you have to dictate how you go about that feedback process and that that empowerment process based on that relationship. And I think that's um, at times, you know, thrown out the window because coach, oh, I'm old school or I'm this or I'm that. And what I hear is I'm not willing to learn. That's what I hear. I'm stuck in my ways. My ego is making my decisions and everyone else has to adapt to me. And that's just not the way it works. Sounds like, uh, sounds like you don't know how to take feedback either, coach. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think that's, you know, I love hearing this stuff from other people because it makes me feel a little bit less crazy. Um, <laughs> I feel like, okay, maybe I do have some idea what I'm talking about here. Um, so that, that's awesome. You know, what about people that are leading in the middle? So say you're, you're in that middle manager role or you're, you know, in the strength and conditioning world, you're that assistant, um, how do you kind of handle that feedback process up the ladder, right? If you're trying to give feedback to your boss. Um, okay. So I think that starts in the interview process. So when you are getting interviewed to be an assistant somewhere, you have to ask really good questions. 
you need to know who you're working for, what their goals are, what their vision is, what their mission is, um, because you're going to have to be able to make decisions that align with their goals and their mission. And if you are not on board with their goals, their mission, their strategy, you don't want to work for them. And you're going to be miserable because at some point you're going to feel that you have lost yourself, that you have no ownership. And even when we even when we're programming, we're trying to find ways to give the athletes ownership of their program. Because if you feel that you have ownership in something, your buy-in to that program is much greater than it will be if you're just a robot going through the motions. So in that interview process, you have to make sure that your, that your values, your morals align with that of the person that you're agreeing to work for. Otherwise, it won't work. Um, when it comes to what those values and morals are, the number one thing I look for is accountability. So, I mean, it comes back to like, like you said earlier, like kids don't want to hold each other accountable, accountable because it can be perceived negatively. I want to work for somebody that expects me to hold them accountable to the things that they say that they're going to do to their vision, strategies, mission, et cetera. Because if they aren't willing to be vulnerable and they're not willing to allow me to hold them accountable to those things, I can't trust that person. I am going to constantly be questioning their motives. And if I'm questioning somebody's motives, that doesn't make me want to go to work every day. And then every time I have to do something that I'm questioning in my bucket of marbles, a marble gets taken out and then another marble gets taken out, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty soon I ain't got no marbles to give it to anybody. Yeah. Like I'm empty at that point and I can't help anybody if I'm empty. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to just being able to lead sideways or lead up the ladder from that middle position, you have to make sure that you are on board and you believe in what that overall mission is. Now, it doesn't mean, I think this is an important point, this doesn't mean that you agree with every single decision they make, every strategy that they say, um, the way they want to go about everything in terms of strength and conditioning. It doesn't mean that you also think that they should squat and deadlift when this person thinks that they should squat and deadlift. You know, that, that, those are details that don't matter in this point. What does matter is, are we all on board to positively impact these kids every single day with our words, our actions, the way we go about doing things in the environment that we create when they come in the weight room? Yes. All right. We are all going in the same direction. Awesome. Now let's go. What do we think about this, that, and the other thing? But at the end of the day, if everybody's aligned with that top goal and mission, those are the things that are going to lead to that up and down leadership. 100%. And you brought up my favorite word, you brought it up and and it's something that people hate to use and strength coaches are, they throw it out the window and coaches in general, a lot of times throw it out the window, vulnerability. Brene Brown. I love it. I love it. I love it. That stuff fires me up. I talk all the time about generating an environment that welcomes it. And people think that vulnerability is this soft word. And really, I'm talking about the type of vulnerability where people can just, one, be themselves, because allowing people to be themselves and not be judged by it allows them to bring new ideas, allows them to want to take risks, allows them to do all these things. It frees your organization up to grow, right? But exactly like you said, if you're that top leader and the person that you hired below you doesn't sense that vulnerability from you, 
they're going to shut down as well. So now that trickles down into the rest of the organization, right? And now nobody is exchanging ideas. Nobody's giving feedback. And you have a very stagnant environment that's not going to grow. All because you couldn't step out there and, as she says, show up, right? You couldn't show up. Um, so I, I think bringing that piece up is so big and identifying that, like you said, in the interview process before you get in. Now, sometimes that's hard. People can, people can put up a front and people can give you, you know, what you want to hear during the interview process. Um, but I think identifying that very early on in your time with your leader and then identifying one, is it something that I can positively impact in, in the sense of, can I start to bring this out of this person a little bit or B, is this somewhere that just isn't a fit for me? And I think the sooner that people realize that, the better off they'll be and the organization will be as well because you can you know, make a decision that's best for you and best for the organization. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to tell a little bit, of, a little story about this. Um, so I first saw or was introduced to Brene Brown through Coach D, Donnell at the, at the Citadel. Um, and I brought that video to coach Shadid at Arkansas state. And, um, cause when I got there, they weren't really having staff meetings and, and cause he's like, I don't want to just have staff meetings. Like, let's just, you know, let's talk regularly all the time. I'm like, that sounds great. I want to have a staff meeting. Can I, if I said, <laughs> I said, I said, if I make this really, really good, can we do it regularly? He's like, all right, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. So I went in there and I had it had this outline. I'm like, all right, we're going to have this really good staff meeting. And I started it off with that Ted talk. And he looked at me afterwards and I'll never forget what he said, because he was technically like my first, you know, that was my first full-time position. So he was my first like boss man. And he said, he said, I've always perceived vulnerability as a weakness. This was an awesome, the video. Thank you for bringing it. And I just, I'll never forget that moment because it was like, okay, I did like, I I'm where I want to be because I knew I wanted to be in that environment, but it was, it's hard to verbalize things like that. It's hard to understand and know how to say, this is what I want, or this is what I'm looking for. And I knew in that moment that I was in the right place in it. I mean, that's where I met my husband. Like I ended up, I was in the right place, like 100%. And I'll never forget that. And it all got brought about with a, a conversation that stemmed from what does it truly mean to be vulnerable? And, and it comes down and I was talking to Dee on the phone last week. And he said, I, I wrote it down because it was just so perfect and it fits so perfectly in this. But he said, you can only push somebody as far as they trust you. And if you want to, if you are a head coach and you want to be able to push your team because you think they're soft and you don't want them to be soft, they better trust you because otherwise you pushing them will push them away. Yep. It won't work. And so I just love how it all kind of comes together from a term that a lot of people will perceive as weak. Yes. And, Good. and it, that was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. And you know what, like you said, you can only push as far as people trust you. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to build that trust is for you to be a human with them. On some level, you have to be a human. People like, I think it was Simon Sinning said, people don't buy products, they buy people. When we buy Apple, we don't buy an iPod. We buy Steve Jobs. We buy the vision. We buy, that's what we buy. And so as a leader, 
you can have all these beautiful rings on your desk and these nice trophies and all these things. That's only going to take you so far. It's mm-hmm. only going to take you so far. Cause at the end of the day, when it's 110 degrees out and you're asking a kid to do one more, they, they have to trust you. They have to, there has to be a connection there. Otherwise they're not going to do it and, or they do it, but not to, you know, the extent that you want them to, or not to their maximum, the maximization of their capabilities. Um, so I, I think that brings it up, you know, great points. Um, I was reading a research article two days ago for, for another presentation I was doing, and they were talking about people's experiences with their best leaders and their worst leaders. And they said, what, how much of your talents on a percentage level did your worst leader get out of you? Like if you had to give it a number one, one to 100, the average answer was 31%. So they got 31% of their talent for the, for your best leader. What was the average answer? 95%. The worst answer from being around a good leader was 41%. They got 41% of their talent. So even if the person is not highly motivated, if you're a good leader, you're still going to get more out of that person than somebody who's highly motivated around a bad leader. Um, so at the end of the day, for coaches that think maybe this stuff is, is touchy-feely and kumbaya around, around the campfire, guys, it's real. And that, that, those are things like you're talking about, what I'm talking about, um, that's science. That's not us making things up. You know, that's, it's real guys. And it, and it affects every aspect of your program and your organization from the top down. Can you send me that article? I absolutely will. I absolutely will. <laughs> absolutely. So coach, at this point, let's pause this where we killed it. The 45 minute mark, we're on it. Um, I want to give the listeners time to digest this stuff. I think me and you have a lot more um, that we want to go in depth with. I don't want to overwhelm anybody in the first episode. I want to make sure that this is good for the commute home, commute to work. Um, you might want to sit down with a notebook and go back over it again, because I think, um, Coach Gold, you you drop all types of, of nuggets that people want to pick up, um, you know, and that's a poorly placed pun by me with a golden nugget. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I told myself before we started, I wasn't going to do it. I'm like, no, no, no puns, because having the last name Kitchen, I've heard of my whole life. So I'm like, don't do that to somebody else. I did it. I couldn't resist. Um, this has been awesome. I, I appreciate you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to the next two episodes. I think that people are going to take so much away from this. So coach, I can't thank you enough for your time. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. And I'm sad that we're done. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad that we're done. I but know. you know what I think we should do is really end the episodes with the ultimate pun using gold and kitchen. <laughs> like we got to come up with something like an ultimate pun. I'm down to that. I like it. I like it. The next two episodes, we will have something fire at the end. Play on both of our names. Okay. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode, man. And I think it shows why I'm so fired up for this series with Coach Gold. You know, she's such a wealth of knowledge and she's able to communicate her ideas and put them in a way that you understand how important leadership is. Um, You know, the the fact that she brought up how you influence people on a daily basis, whether positive or negative, um, it's ultimately our responsibility, right, to add value to every situation that we have. And leadership transcends industry, right? Coach Gold is a strength coach, but everything that she said today is applicable, whether you're a hospital administrator, a teacher, a doctor, or just a husband or a wife, maybe even just a brother or sister, okay? So I hope you guys are excited for the next two episodes. Make sure you get a pen and paper. Let's take notes on this stuff. Um, You know, if anyone has any questions, as always, please, you know where to find us, www.edgeleadershipacademy.com. Find us on Twitter, on Instagram, at edgeleadershipacademy.com. Um, And as always, leaders are built, not born. We'll see you next week.